Every copy of Scripture in Acts chapter 13. This morning, Acts chapter 13. And we're going to start in verse 42 of Acts chapter 13 this morning. And we'll go through uh, chapter 14 and verse 7. So we'll start in Acts 13, verse 42, and we'll read through chapter 14, verse 7. We're reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. There are few people in this world that actually enjoy conflict and division. In fact, most people try to avoid conflict at all costs. They don't just go looking for conflict. Have you ever had to talk with someone about a problem or a situation where you know they're most likely not going to listen to what you have to say to them or they're not going to want to hear what you have to say? You get nervous, don't you? Your heart starts to beat. Maybe your palms get sweaty. Maybe you feel sick to your stomach. You don't want to do it. Most likely you won't do it unless you absolutely have to. And sometimes I think 
This is why we're so afraid of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that the person that we're going to share with may not want to hear what we have to say. So rather than have division or cause some sort of conflict, remain silent and say nothing. You can be assured that as a Christian, if you share the gospel regularly, you encounter opposition. You'll encounter opposition from friends, from, from acquaintances, and even from family. That does not mean that we need to act like a jerk when we share the gospel. But I'm saying that there is a divisive quality to the gospel and that it is foolish to pretend like there is not. While Paul and Barnabas are in Pisidian at Antioch, some believed, but others rejected the message and even came in opposition to them. Then they enter Iconium, and it's the same exact thing. Many believed and others stood in opposition to the point that the apostles fled for their lives. Listen, the gospel brings salvation and division. So why would we proclaim such a divisive message? Why would Christians proclaim such a message that brings division and is so divisive? It's because through our proclamation of the gospel, God is glorified. And I believe as we read through this passage of scripture, there's several things that we need to take notice of. The first thing I believe that you and I should take notice of is the initial response to the gospel. The initial response to the gospel as Paul is sharing. I want us to pay attention here to verses 42 through 44 and notice several things in these verses relating to the initial response to the gospel that Paul had just proclaimed in the synagogue. Remember last week we looked at that a little bit. Paul's proclaiming the gospel in the synagogue. Well, what's the response of the people? First, we see that they sought to hear more. As they listened to Paul, they hungered for more. They had some knowledge of Scripture, but as Paul laid out the history of Israel, remember, we talked about that last week. He's laying out the history of Israel, and he reveals to them that that the history of Israel is really all about Jesus Christ. And so they, they knew the Scripture, but they did not know the truth of the Scripture. And now their hearts were touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul had presented, and the Holy Spirit is working in their lives. In fact, so much so that the Scripture says that they begged Paul to share more. That should be a challenge to us because the world is full of people that don't know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are those that when they hear it, they only desire to hear more. There are people that are ready to respond to the glorious truth that Jesus saves and that Jesus forgives and that Jesus justifies. But for some reason, we pretend like they're not there. They sought to hear more. But not only did they seek to hear more, we see that some wanted to hear more right away. Did you notice that in verse 43? We notice that after the meeting of the synagogue had broken up and many of the people followed Paul and Barnabas around. And so Paul and Barnabas leave the synagogue and these people so badly wanted to hear more that they just followed them wherever they went. These folks didn't didn't want to wait until next week to hear more. They wanted to hear more now. They needed to hear more right then, and they were hungry for the truth. Let me just say the truth of Scripture should always be what we preach. And as followers of Christ, we need to be a people of of prayer and a people of study in the Scripture and a people that preach Jesus as Savior. That's what we should be proclaiming. Notice how Paul responds to them. He tells them to continue in the grace of God. 
From this language, it would seem that these folks that were following Paul and Barnabas around had already committed themselves to the grace of God, meaning they had experienced salvation. The picture is Paul is urging them to continue in the grace of God, to hunger for, to thirst for that truth that had been revealed to them, which is the grace of God in the first place. And he's saying, hey, as you were revealed to the the grace of God, continue in that, understand that, thirst for it. Hunger for it. Live it out in your life. Thirdly, we see when we look at this response is that some who never attended came near. Look at verse 44. It says, The next Sabbath day comes and onto the scene nearly the whole city shows up to hear Paul. That's not quite what it says. Right? It says the whole city showed up to hear what? Doesn't say Paul. What's it say? The word of the Lord. Right? They came to hear the word of the Lord. Now I want you to picture this because it kind of sets a scene for the rest of the message. These people who came to hear the word of the Lord were predominantly Gentile people. Pisidian Antioch was filled with Gentiles and evidently they understood that salvation uh, that, that Paul was proclaiming included them. They're like, hey, this guy, the Apostle Paul, is proclaiming salvation and he's talking about us. The number of Gentiles would have eclipsed the number of Jews. Listen, church, there are those that are ready to hear the truth. And our job is to proclaim the truth just like Paul did. We proclaim the word of the Lord and trust in the Lord that there will be people that are ready to hear. Can you imagine if just one day nearly the whole city of Washington just showed up at our door? Like, hey, we heard you guys are speaking truth in there. We want to come hear it. Wouldn't that be wild? So you've seen this this initial response to the gospel that there were many that ended up wanting to hear more in various forms. Some wanted to know more, right? Uh, just wanted to know more. Some wanted to know more right away, and pretty much the whole city turned out to hear the following Sabbath day. Now a little bit later on, we're going to look uh, uh, look to those that obviously did not want to hear more about the gospel. And we're going to see the division that it brings. But before we do, I want us to see some other important points uh, that, that I believe come from this passage of Scripture. One of those is this. Our primary motive for sharing the gospel is God's glory and the salvation of his own people. Our primary motive for sharing the gospel is God's glory and the salvation of his own people. Now, to be sure, this isn't some new teaching. In fact, this should not be even a new teaching to us here at First Baptist. I've taught from God's word that when sharing the gospel, we do so out of obedience and that the results of sharing the gospel are not up to us, but our obedience is up to us. And what I want us to understand when it comes to sharing the gospel is that we do so for his glory, which is seen in the salvation of his People, As followers of Christ, we should be motivated to reflect the glory of God. 
That should be our motivation. Sinful people do not reflect the glory of God, but followers of Christ do reflect the glory of God. God's word says we are new creatures created in his image. That if we are in Christ, you and I are a new creation reflecting the glory of God. And so while sinful men do not glorify God, followers of Christ do glorify God because they are new creatures. The main reason we should desire for people to follow Jesus is not so that they will be happy. And it's not so that we will be happy. But so that God would be glorified in their lives. Now here's what I want us to understand from this passage of scripture in relation to God's glory and salvation. First is that God has a chosen people. God has a chosen people. Now, I know a lot of people try to dodge this or they try to pretend like it's not true or because they do not fully understand it, they try to somehow explain it away. But let me be clear. The fact of the matter is that God has a chosen people and it's plainly taught throughout the entirety of Scripture. Even in this passage of Scripture, we've seen Paul very plainly display that God has a chosen people. Remember last week we looked at Paul. He's in the synagogue. He's referencing God's choice of their forefathers. In fact, we looked at how Paul repeatedly showed that God was sovereign over all things for all people. Let, uh, later on in the same book, in the book of Acts, uh, Paul is in Corinth and he's afraid. And, and God tells him, I have many people in this city. That's what God tells Paul, I have many people in the city. How'd Paul know that? He didn't know it. He wasn't in Corinth yet. But God says, I have many people in the city. Paul had not seen anyone saved in Corinth. Yet, but God assures him that he had chosen people in the city. You say, well, why are we talking about this? Why bring this up? Look with me at verse 48. Look at the latter part of verse 48. It says this, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. It's important to pay attention to how this is given to us. It does not say, and as many as believed were appointed. It doesn't say that. This is not about men trying to find Jesus, as if Jesus is lost somewhere, but rather it's about God who is actively seeking men to bring eternal life to them through his son, Jesus Christ. When people believe, they're responding to what God is already doing. You will hear many people today in many churches teach that the reason God chooses a people is because he has advanced knowledge of their decision and he chooses them based upon that knowledge. However, that's not what Scripture teaches anywhere in Scripture. Instead, Scripture teaches that there are none who seek after God. It teaches us that God's sovereign choice of man has nothing to do with you or I, and it's unconditional on his part. Paul makes this clear in Romans chapter 9. He talks of Jacob and Esau. And though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls 
she was told the older will serve the younger. Paul then goes on to talk about God hardening the heart of Pharaoh. And then he writes this in verse 19. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Our decision or belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ is not why God chooses. And it's not why we get elected, but rather his electing us or choosing us is why we choose to believe the gospel, not the other way around. So why are you talking about this? Because the text talks about it. And we have to preach what the word of God says. Luke writes this verse and he doesn't do so just so we can flippantly skip over it. He does it because it's important to believe in this doctrine that he's teaching. If we're going to be engaged in sharing the gospel with a lost community And as followers of Christ, we are called to share the gospel with the lost community. This doctrine is important. We say, well, why? Why is it important? Because if we walk around thinking that salvation is dependent on man's decision, then you believe that somehow man is in control of that decision and that you might just mess it up. Additionally, you have no guarantee that anyone would ever decide to trust in Christ. In fact, the Bible guarantees that no one would ever decide to trust in Christ. In fact, it's just a guarantee from Scripture. Like we said earlier, no one seeks after God. Romans chapter 3.11 makes it very clear. There are none that come to Jesus unless the Father draws them. John chapter 6 verse 44. Why don't they come? Because Satan has blinded their minds. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4. And they are held in captivity to do the will of Satan. Satan, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. Not to mention those people that you are trying to convince to trust in Jesus are dead in their trespasses and sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. So best of luck trying to share the gospel with them. Because they will never come to Christ if it's upon them to make that decision. They will never come. But if the word of God is true, which I contend that it is, and I hope you do as well, then there is a people that he has chosen before the foundations of the world, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. And if he has chosen a people before the foundations of the world, which he says he has, then they will be saved at the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if this is the case, if there really are people he has chosen before the foundations of the world, and if they really will be saved at the proclamation of the word of God, then it should embolden us to share the gospel even more. Because he will use the foolishness of preaching to bring people to himself. So go out and confidently share the gospel, church. Go out and confidently share the good news. With confidence, be emboldened. Take the gospel with you. Be emboldened because he has a people ready to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should embolden us to share all the more. Because it's not dependent on you or them. It's dependent on Him. And so I go out and share even more. Why? Should we do this? Why should we share? Why be emboldened? Why not just sit in our, in our pew? Why not just sit on our rear end and hope it all works out? Well, because God is glorified when His chosen people are saved. Look with me again at verse 48. 
Notice what it says. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began doing what? Rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Luke will speak of joy again in verse 52. When sinners come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, through the grace of God, they will be filled with joy. The glory of God is keenly seen when his people are saved. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that he would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Listen, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved as God is glorified in our salvation, we should naturally want to see others come to Christ and God be glorified in their salvation. When we share the gospel, our motivation is not our glory. Our motivation is not that somebody would pat me on the back because I shared the gospel today and I went out and shared to my neighbor or I did this or I did that. That's not the motivation to share the gospel. But the motivation to share the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God would be glorified so we've seen this initial response to the gospel we've seen the primary motive for sharing the gospel is God's glory and the salvation of his own people now let's see this in order to see God's chosen ones saved we must proclaim the gospel in order to see God's chosen ones saved we must proclaim the the gospel. Oftentimes people will say, if God has a chosen people or if people are really elect to salvation, they're not going to be saved no matter what. So why would I have to share the gospel? The answer to those questions is actually very simple because, first of all, God ordained the means by which his chosen ones would be saved. And the means by which they will be saved is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So even though he ordains the end, even though the end is ordained, he also ordains how you get there. You understand that? Even if, if the outcome is already taken care of, how you get to the outcome is also taken care of. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says all those beatings, all those imprisonments, all those hard times, all that abuse I have taken was for one reason, so that God's chosen people would obtain salvation. Paul preaches the gospel here in Pisidian Antioch and later on in Iconium because if we want to see people saved, you and I have to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there are all kinds of church growth strategies out there. There's all kinds of ways to grow your church. You can read all kinds of books. In fact, if you go into a Christian bookstore, the, the shelves are littered with all kinds of church growth strategies. You can go to conventions and you can go over here and over there and learn how to grow your church. Let me give you five reasons and five ways to grow your church. And let me tell you 10 reasons your church isn't growing. And let me tell you this and that and the other. All these strategies on 
church growth. Start more small groups. You need to have a cool worship music. You need to have a cool worship pastor. You got to do this. You got to do that. Nothing wrong with some of those things. Per se. But you want to know what grows a church? When people get saved. That's what grows a church. When people get saved. And if you want people to get saved, you know what you got to do? You got to proclaim the gospel. Plain and simple. Church, the message that we proclaim, the message that we give is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do it so God's chosen ones will be saved. Look at this. The gospel is proclaimed in order to see his people saved. But notice this, the gospel originates with God and not man. The gospel originates with God and not man. Let me read for you from the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Where God declares to Satan this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he says this, he shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. We have this theological term for that called proto-evangelium. And what that simply means is this is the first instance of the gospel. Clear back in Genesis, he's saying, I will send a savior. The gospel message originates with God. Luke makes this clear in his writing. He writes, the word of God in verse 44 and in verse 46, the word of the Lord and in verse 48 and 49 and, and the word of his grace in chapter 14, verse three. We don't have the gospel because men thought up some great way to be reconciled to God, but we have the gospel because it is and was God's plan for man to be reconciled to God. Every religion in the world involves some sort of religious system, some system of human works in order to be reconciled to God. Every single one of them, whether it's Islam whether it's Hinduism, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's Judaism, whether it's Roman Catholicism, whether it's Mormonism, whether it's Jehovah's Witness, whatever it might be, other religions ultimately do not glorify God, but they glorify man because it's what must I do in order to get to God, to bring glory to myself? What can I do in order to gain salvation? It's through human effort, but it is not so with the gospel of Jesus Christ because no one can boast when it comes to the gospel. Because it takes away all human effort and it attributes salvation to God and God alone who chose before the foundations of the world. This means before we could ever do anything whatsoever, including choosing him, that he chose you. It's all him. This is why this doctrine is so crucial. Why must we have some understanding of it? Why do we need to get this? Because it strips man of any pride in thinking that they are somehow good enough to come to the Lord. And it strips us from thinking that we somehow have to manipulate the gospel. That somehow we have to manipulate what we present. How humbling to know. Salvation doesn't hinge on our desires. It doesn't hinge on anything that God has found in you. 
but upon him who decided before you were even born, before you could do any good or evil. No man would ever think of that doctrine. Never. Never in a million years. You know why? Because it doesn't depend on man. It does away with our human pride. We can't even take pride in our faith because faith is a gift of God. Faith is not a work. It's not, it's not something that you have to muster up. It's not earned, but instead it is the acceptance of what someone else did, of what they've already done, and is given to us only by God. So the gospel originates with God, not with man. Additionally, the gospel is a message of God's grace to sinners who are sinful beyond measure. The gospel is a message of God's grace to sinners who are sinful beyond measure. Listen to Romans 7, verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and that through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Luke in this passage speaks of the grace of God in verse 43 and in verse 3 of chapter 14 he speaks of the word of his grace and the people never heard of this message of the grace of God this is why verse 42 says they were begging they were begging to hear more they never heard of grace they're begging to hear more they were dependent upon the law to justify them and Paul says there's no justification and forgiveness you can't have that apart from God's grace because it comes through grace alone. Church, this is what the world needs to hear. They need to hear that God's grace saves them. They are are highly religious people. They have never heard the truth of the grace of God. They have no idea that they can experience the grace of God that comes through Jesus Christ. They, They believe they have to work for it in order to get to heaven. But you don't have to work for it. Oh, that we would share the gospel of grace with sinners who are sinful beyond measure. Because we all have sinned, right? We're all sinful beyond measure. And even that person who works to be righteous is sinful beyond measure. They think somehow they're going to make themselves good before a holy God. And that only serves to to make God something that He is not. And make them something that they are not. We all come to the cross of Christ guilty. We come sinful beyond measure. And we simply receive the Son of God. We receive what he did on our behalf and by his grace we are saved and he gets all the glory. Church, that's good news. That is good news. You would think that with such great news, you would think that when we come to this realization that we are sinful beyond measure and when we come to this realization that I cannot earn my way into heaven and that somebody else paid the price and it's totally dependent upon God and by his grace you would think people would love to hear that wouldn't you I mean did you love to hear that when you received Christ did you love to hear somebody else paid the price for you so that you could get into heaven you would think some that people would just love to hear that you'd think that the gospel would cause all people to rejoice but it doesn't 
In fact, the gospel proclaimed can cause division. The gospel proclaimed can cause division. Here's the thing with the gospel. You're either for it or against it. I used to have a buddy that used to say, you're either for it or against it. Either for it or against it. There's no such thing as a neutral when it comes to the gospel. And that's exactly what we see happening here when Paul proclaims the gospel. Some respond to the message and others have stood in opposition to it. In fact, the opposition got to the point where they were strong enough that they were able to drive Paul out of the region. And the exact same thing happened in Iconium. Verse 4, chapter 14 says, The people of the city were divided. The gospel was proclaimed, and God worked through the gospel message. And many believed, but others opposed the gospel, and they got others to oppose the gospel too. Have you ever wondered why it is that the same crowd can hear the exact same message proclaimed, and some marvel at what is said, and respond, and others stand in opposition to it? Have you ever wondered why that happens? Well, there's probably several reasons, one of which is pride. We already covered the fact that the gospel gives us no room to boast other than, other than uh, to look at Jesus Christ. But verse 35 tells us some reasons why people oppose it, and it's jealousy. The Jewish leaders wanted everyone to keep doing what they were doing. It provided for them status. They, they were super religious people. And so when people realize that salvation was by grace alone, suddenly all status is stripped away. There's no pride. Remember, it was the religious leaders that opposed Paul because he had, because they had so much to lose. Right? They had all kinds of stuff to lose. And it's just interesting that they sided with Gentiles who they normally wanted nothing to do with. Just to oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 46. Look what it says. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Everyone who rejects the gospel is responsible. Paul is making it clear. That to reject the gospel is to bring condemnation on oneself because you're rejecting God who is the author of the gospel. Your own rejection proves that you do not possess eternal life. Scripture is very clear. No one comes to Christ apart from God's grace. And no one goes to hell that does not want to be there. Everyone in hell is responsible for their unbelief and their disobedience to God. No one can say, well, it's not fair. I was not one of God's chosen people. Rather, they rejected God willingly and refused to believe and obey Jesus Christ. It is an egregious error to deny God has a chosen people. And it is also equally an egregious error to deny sinners are responsible for their own condemnation. So we've seen the initial response. We see our primary motive for sharing the gospel. We see that you and I, we must proclaim the gospel. We see that the gospel can cause division. And finally, this morning, I want you to notice this. What is our response? Our response, we must proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. We must proclaim the gospel the ends of the earth. Look back at verse 47. Do you see what Paul says? For so the Lord 
has commanded us. For so the Lord has commanded us. Because of the Jews' rejection of the gospel, God commanded them to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, look over at verse five, verses 5 through 7 of chapter 14. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews, were their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country. And there, what they do? What they do? And there they continued to preach the gospel. You see that? It doesn't say they fled and they got out of Dodge and they quit preaching because they knew that their life was in trouble. And there they continued to preach the gospel even though they had every reason to fear for their lives. They still preached the gospel. Now notice that, that when they were about to be stoned, right? they didn't stick around and say, well, glory to God, we're going to get killed. That's not what they did. There's a difference between being bold and being stupid. Okay? There is a difference. Sometimes we, we like, well, I'm just being persecuted for, for Jesus. And sometimes it's not because you're being bold. Sometimes it's because we're being stupid. There's a difference. I watched a documentary on John Knox this week. And uh, he kept fleeing persecution because his life was threatened. But he continued to boldly preach the gospel. And everywhere he'd go, he'd keep preaching the gospel. As he stood against against the, the rulers of the day and would preach the gospel and then his life would be threatened and he'd go, he'd go to another town and preach the gospel and then he'd go back to Geneva and preach the gospel and he'd go somewhere else and preach the gospel. The point is this, that they didn't let opposition or fear or death stop them from proclaiming the gospel. Here's what we must understand, church. This is not just the job of the pastor. It's not just the job of a missionary. It's not just the job of the full-time Christian worker. It's the job of every single believer that claims Jesus Christ as their Savior. It is their job to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Luke says the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Paul and Barnabas were going around spreading the gospel. They weren't doing it just by themselves, but others that received the grace of God were telling others how to receive the grace of God. I've heard it said that I am just a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's the job of every saint single believer on the face of this earth. You don't have the right to sit in a pew and do nothing. You don't have that right. If you've tasted of the grace of God, evangelism is your duty. It's your job. It's what we do. And it's not complete. It is not complete until the ends of the earth have heard that we continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, pastor, how do you know we're not? Look around. That's how I know we're not. How do you grow a church? You proclaim the gospel. And sometimes we get so comfortable in our Christianity, we're satisfied to just keep doing what we've always done. 
Well, this is what I do. Maybe, maybe I'll live such a good life. Somebody asked me about Jesus. Church, we live in a time where we are so afraid to offend anyone. We've taken the gospel. And we've tried to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and make it political. It's like some little fable. It's all about sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. We try to make the gospel so it's not going to be offensive. And we say things like, this is your best life now. And if you're not happy with your life, why don't you just give Jesus a try? He'll make you happy. And we remove sin, so repentance is no longer required. Just believe and you can keep on living like you've always lived. And that's not the gospel. I have a shirt that my wife bought me because she's a good wife. Okay? She's not here, so I get to say that. <laughs> she'll, she'll maybe hear it if she ever listens to my sermons. But um, it's a quote from Augustine on that shirt. This is what it says. If you believe what you like in the gospel and you reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. Church, the gospel confronts every sinner and their sin. They realize they are sinful beyond measure. And whether it's pride, whether it's immorality, whether it's greed, whether it's selfishness, whether it's racism, it doesn't matter. It convicts us. It convicts every sinner of their guilt before a holy God. And then it takes that sinner who is sinful beyond measure. <laughs> In church, I can't even fathom this. Sinful beyond measure. And it offers that person God's grace. It says you can't earn it. You can't do nothing to deserve it. It offers that person God's grace. And it reveals that he sacrificed his one and only son as a substitute for that sin. And it reveals that no sinner can ever save themselves, but that God will save everyone that receives Christ alone as Savior. And if you're saved, it's because God chose to save you, not based on anything that's in you, but solely based on Him and all of the glory, every single last little bit of the glory goes to God and God alone. And if we are lost, it is because we have willingly and stubbornly been disobedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to Him that the message is divisive and we've been confronted with the gospel and human pride has stepped in the way and it gives God alone the glory the gospel does. That's the only message you are to proclaim. The gospel. That's the message we proclaim. And here's my question for you this morning. Have you received Christ as your Savior 
And are you proclaiming this message? Have you received Christ as Savior? And are you proclaiming this message? You may say, Pastor, I've, I've received Christ. Then it's your duty to proclaim this message. You don't get to say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't know what to say. You don't get the leisure of saying that. If he saved you, you share of his grace. That's it. It's what we do. Until the ends of the earth are reached. So that means you not only share here. You go on vacation, you share on vacation. You go to another country, you share in another country. In fact, you may even want to intentionally go to another country to share it. To the ends of the earth. You share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I don't know Jesus. I've never received this gospel that you speak of. I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'd love to share with you about the grace of God. Maybe you'd say this morning, I know, but I'm not proclaiming. And I want to challenge you, church. It's your job to proclaim. It's your job to proclaim. And it's pretty easy to tell if we're proclaiming or not. Here in a minute, we're going to sing a song. After I close a prayer, if the Lord's spoken to you this morning, I want to challenge you this morning to come forward. If you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. If you just want to come up and pray, you can do that. You can pray in your pew too. You can talk with me after the service too. Whatever you need to do. I just want to challenge you this morning. If the Lord has spoken to you, maybe you need some prayer, maybe you want to pray with someone, I'll be standing down front. I'd love to talk with you this morning. Let's go ahead and close prayer this morning.